0: you're listening to kitchen table finance join dave shotwell and nick nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical
1: hey dave how you doing today i'm doing well nick how are you fantastic. You are always doing fantastic. I know. It's a it's real crime. Uh, <laughs> great fun, fun time around here. We've got a perfect uh, football weather the next couple of days. And uh, yep. for our listeners who maybe aren't in Michigan, this is the uh, Michigan Super Bowl going on tomorrow, yeah. right? Yeah, a University bit of, a of Michigan football, football versus Michigan State. So Things are getting a little rowdy here in East Lansing in preparation of the first ever uh, night game in that matchup. So what are we going to do, Dave? We're going to talk about the markets.
0: Yeah, let's talk, about, let's talk about the markets. It's a safer
1: topic. It's a safer yeah, topic. That's right. <laughs> you don't want our football advice. Well, yeah, I'm sure yeah. we could talk for hours about it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, let's take a look at what happened in the third quarter and uh, give an outlook for what we think may happen here in the future. Dave, where do you want to start? Well, you know, there's really no two ways to look at it. The third quarter was pretty
0: lousy for both stock and bond markets. Just about every slice of the domestic market, the U.S. stock market was down about 3%, was small stocks doing a bit worse, with small cap growth stocks being down almost 7%. The interesting thing, though, as lousy as the quarter was, everything is still pretty positive for the year. The, what we look at for the all cap index counting everything still being positive 12.4% for the year through the end of
1: the third quarter. You know, it's kind of one of those, what have you done for me lately moments, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember what we predicted in our uh, prediction season, but I think that we both like if looking at it in January saying, Hey, we're you, you're going to be sitting here in October and the all caps going to be up 12% we probably would have signed up for that right
0: right yeah i'd have been all over it so yeah it just uh, it just isn't as much fun as it was in july when we talked about it right yeah exactly and kind of the same story in bonds if we look at the us aggregate bond index it was down almost 3% for the year and it's it's negative on a price basis for the year now minus 1 minus one and a quarter, actually. Mm-hmm. But remember that that's just looking at uh, at the uh, price movement in bonds and not taking into account necessarily the income they're producing, which is now higher than what we used to see.
1: Yeah, so another one of those quarters where we had losses in both stocks and bonds, which, you know, <laughs> never a fun time. <laughs> but I keep telling people in a lot of our reviews, like, the light to the end of the tunnel is hopefully coming, especially as it relates to bonds and how they should, you know, be impacted in the future. So we've gone through some hard times in the last couple of years, but hopefully we've kind of at that tipping point. A you know, rising
0: interest rate environment and inflation situation is not good for stocks and not good for bonds. Yep. And and you know we're still we're still basically in a tug of war between interest rates and inflation. When we look forward to where things are potentially headed, the easiest way to think about it, rather than make predictions, is to to look at what's what's on the positive side of the ledger and what do we have to worry about. Right. I'm going to preface this uh, by by pointing out that you know these bullet points are they're put together by uh, Mario and Eric at East Bay that work with us on our portfolios, and Mario was writing these the first weekend in October here. Week before last, as uh, Hamas was attacking Israel, so that wasn't part of the thinking at that point. So it didn't didn't make it as a reason for concern. But obviously, it is something that's on our mind at this point, right? As we right. as we move into the fourth quarter. Earlier this week, we posted uh, po- uh, a blog article from uh, Clearnomics that uh, we thought was pretty. Important on this because we're we're getting client questions about it already. Like, what what's all this going to mean for the markets? Right, right. The long story short is looking at the history of Middle East conflicts and their effects on the stock market. You know, going back through the seventies, it's somewhat unpredictable. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to what's going on in the U.S. economy in the background. Yeah, and you know, um, like think about uh, obvious. Um, like an obvious one for, for us is the uh, World Trade Center attacks, you know, nine eleven, And yes, it had an immediate negative short-term impact on the markets. But the longer-term impact on the market was the fact that, it, you know, we were in the middle of the tech bubble crash. Right. And if you look back at the chart of the market during, say, the, the tech bubble crash era, say 2000 through 2000, late 2002-ish, you know the the t- attacks on the world trade center are a little blip in that longer line of down you know there was a quick downward but then a recovery afterwards that right. Right, if you look the slope of the line didn't change when you back up like more than a month or two yeah so you know that's kind of the kind of the main takeaway the other thing is you know we we both got questions over last weekend like how, like what, if this makes the market fall apart, what are we going to do about it? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, to me, that answer is the same thing we always do. Right. We're not invested based on these global like news headlines. Cause if we did, if if we were going to invest your money based on protecting you from what might happen tomorrow in israel or the ukraine or anywhere else on the globe we'd never be invested because any any particular day you can wake up and something you never thought of is going to move the markets and it's not like it's not like we can if if we're sitting here going if you know and then you know the other part of that client question is if this causes the market to do x right? right and the thing is. The market moves as soon as those headlines are posted, right? I mean, everybody right. trades stocks right away. Oh my gosh, oil's gonna go up and this is gonna happen and makes a bunch of predictions. And anything we do about what's going to come next is basically a guess. Right. You know, the market, the the news might be better next and it goes up, the news might be worse and it goes down. But either way, we're grasping at straws and mm-hmm. we're basically trying to time short-term moves that can't be predicted. Right. That just doesn't get anybody anywhere.
1: Yeah. I love Morgan Housel's advice around stuff like this, too, which is, you know, I just think of like, most of those people that are doing mm-hmm. those things are playing a completely different game than what you're playing. Right. So like, don't get caught up in what's happening with the market, people getting in and out because they are playing a completely different game than you are, right. where our, you know, our goal is long-term sustainable growth. And most of those people who are yeah. doing the trading do not have those same objectives.
0: To further build on other things Morgan Housel would have to say on this situation, one of his main tenets is don't be financially fragile so that short term moves like this hurt you mm-hmm. and you know to put it in simple terms you know if you're if you're 40 years old how your retirement account is doing because of what's going on between israel and hamas doesn't mean anything where it does mean something is you know in your short term needs you, you know, that money should not be in the market because anything can happen. But don't worry about your retirement accounts because that's 20 years away still. Right. Yeah. So
1: anyway. Absolutely. Another uh, one last thing on uh, the Israel thing. I thought it was yeah. interesting that uh, Janet Yellen came out and said that she doesn't think it's going to have any impact on the U.S. Now. Keep that with like, uh, you know, Janet Yellen's kind of switched teams a little bit where she mm-hmm. was working for the Fed, which was independent. Now she's working for the White House, which obviously <laughs> they have a, 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 a they they have a little vested interest in the things that come out of the White House. Right. Um, but I thought it was interesting. You know, she was pretty quick with that, um, well, you know, but she also kind of somewhat has to be because they want to preach stability right now, especially going right. into election. Right.
0: Right. Well, you know, here's here's another perspective too that kind of ties that stuff together. So now, you know, the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates Mm -hmm. because economic growth has been stronger and driving inflation higher. Okay, Mm -hmm. so now we're sitting here with the Fed's fund rate between five and five and a quarter, five and a quarter, I think, is where Mm -hmm. we're at now. Let's you know war game this here for a second. If the situation in Gaza gets worse. And what usually happens when there's Middle East turmoil is we see the price of oil spike, right? So the price of oil, kind of like interest rates, is fuel or, or the brakes on the economy. If the Fed is trying to slow, interest, slow inflation down and slow the economy down and is raising interest rates to do it, but gas prices spike instead, that has the same effect. And we're sitting here waiting to see if the Federal Reserve is going to need to continue to raise interest rates. Well, my expectation would be if oil slows the economy down, they've done the job for the Fed, right? Uh And so we're probably, you know, not that any of this is a good thing. It's just a different way of getting to the same ends as far as the Federal Reserve goes. And if it slows the economy down more than what the Fed wanted, they can lower interest rates now because we're no longer at zero.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> now, you know,
0: the, 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 as hard as this has all been with interest rates going up, too, we've, we've talked a lot. We recorded a whole podcast last week on there being returns in cash. So, so that's one positive. But the other positive is now when there's economic trouble, we've got room. The Fed can lower rates to stimulate the economy if we have an issue. Right. And, you know,
1: when, when they're already at zero and something happens, there's not a lot they can do. Well, it's, it's interesting too, cause there, you know, we, and I think we've had podcasts or at least talked about this before, like the death of the 60, 40 portfolio. And admittedly uh-huh. it's not going as well as, especially over the last couple of years, but it, I'd rather be in a 60, 40 portfolio right. now is the best time in the last 15 years. Well, like, cause people. you have that dynamic of, you know, those bonds should hold their weight if we go into a recession bear market.
0: The same people that publish articles about the sixty forty portfolio being dead are the same people that publish articles at 6 o'clock at night saying, you know, X just happened this afternoon. Here are the four portfolio moves you should make tomorrow morning at the open. Right. You know, yep. and they're not doing... <laughs> exactly. <numbers.
1: laughs> or invest in our ultra-expensive hedge fund strategy where we right, don't use right. bonds Market. but get better results with <laughs> <Yeah>. lower risk. <laughs> Outside of what's going on
0: in the Middle East, the positive signals and the reasons for concern going into the fourth quarter. And on the positive side of the ledger, we have that uh, you know, we we barely averted a government shutdown in September. Wasn't really expected to have, you know, a major impact on the market,
1: but uh, you know, that that came and went. I always yeah. chuckle at this one because I can hardly get through it without laughing because, it, you know, we barely avoided it. But, you know, it's a it's coming back in the middle of November and right. B, Congress basically imploded afterwards and doesn't have a speaker and can't do anything. So, right. you know, stay tuned. This will come up again. I promise you. <laughs> Second one we've talked about a bit, but it's
0: it's it's an important thing to keep in mind when we're talking about negative price returns on bonds. There is now more income and fixed income than there has been. Since uh, early in my career, and we're starting to see the yields on bond funds tick up as mm-hmm. their older holdings are rolling over into new holdings with with higher interest rates. So yeah. that's part of why I, I, you know, we chuckle at the death of the sixty forty portfolio. It's probably never been as good a time to buy bonds as, as any other time in my career going back to like Mm -hmm. other than some event driven things that were short run. Sure.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that should be, you know, driving people to look at their asset allocation, you know, as Mm -hmm. you get closer to retirement, a lot of times we're becoming a little bit more conservative and so, you know, it's a good time to look yeah. at that stuff and, and kind of have a plan and maybe this makes sense to kind of take a little bit less risk because you yes. get a little bit more interest in bonds than you have in a long time. And, and
0: we've we've been having investment policy statement conversations with clients lately. And it's not, I'm not seeing a lot of clients fall into this category, but there, there are a few where it's been like, okay, I've never been really in, totally comfortable with the amount of risk I'm taking, it really does get to me. And I wouldn't mind making my portfolio a little bit less risky. Well, that trade-off's not nearly as bad right now from my point of view right. as an advisor. If I say say we're going from 70% stocks to 60% stocks, we're moving 10% more into bonds. Yeah, yes, that's, that does dampen our expectations for future returns along with reducing volatility. But that trade-off is better now then say when interest rates were at rock bottom and, and moving money to bonds was basically just a hedge against volatility. It wasn't providing a lot of income. Um, and I haven't done the math, but you know it's, uh, it's just not as bad. Uh, I, don't,
1: I don't feel nearly as bad that we're, the client's going to miss out. Well, I mean, you know, you look at a bond portfolio that's yielding five, you would assume that the return should be about five-ish, where two years ago, you're sitting at one, two, maybe three. And so, you know, that's a big difference. So uh, the, the third item on the positive side
0: of the ledger is the labor market remains strong. You know, everybody thought that uh, we'd see the labor market start to fall apart this summer with interest rates being higher and companies needing to slow down. And it just keeps on trucking
1: and if you don't believe us uh, drive around Lansing and wave at all the UAW picketers and somebody mm-hmm. else just went on strike the other day 2023 is the year of the strike and that stuff doesn't happen without a strong labor market right Like you're in a bargaining position now's your chance that's been that's been a bright spot here you know and pretty much every economist
0: when we did our prediction Uh, episode back in the beginning of the year was saying that by now we'd be in a recession of some sort. And it's really the labor market that's that's kept things moving along.
1: The labor market and consumers, um, <laughs> appetite for spending still. well, that, those things go together, right? Like you don't you know, if you don't feel comfortable in your job, then you're probably not spending like we're seeing spending right now. So it, those things definitely go hand in hand for sure.
0: Time to talk about the other side of the scale, right?
1: Indeed. And the first one, as always, uh, lands on the Fed, right? And what they've been up to? <laughs> Higher for longer. Higher for longer. It's the new catchphrase. Higher for
0: longer. That's where the the Fed is kind of on pause. They're, they haven't raised rates now in a, in a month, but and they've, they've pretty much said they're going to keep an eye on the data and, and see how things go. But they have signaled that they anticipate they're going to have to raise rates right. again at some point in the near future,
1: and that they'll have to hold them higher than they had previously Yeah, so looking back, we have a cool chart on this too, but if you look back at all of the you know rate hike cycles, once they got to the top, it was a pretty steep cliff off the other end, right? Because usually they pushed us into a recession, and then... Back right. off and go The other way, right? Well, because labor in the economy is so strong and not in that recession, it gives them the ability to maybe maintain this higher rate for longer and not have that cliff effect back down to basically nothing. So the downside then of the economy is, you know, it's what those stops are put in place a little bit longer. And that's kind of the negative concern of, Maybe we'll grow, but we're probably not going to grow like we're accustomed to because of the interest rates being higher. It's interesting. Uh, I think the phrase Mario used,
0: uh, talking about those, the, I think like he said the the Fed raises rates on an escalator and, and right. lowers them <laughs> on an elevator. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. but and, but a lot of time too, that's that's event driven. Either either because they've they've overdone it and caused a recession, and now they need to get us back down out of it. Or, you know, during COVID, they basically took rates from, I can't, I can't remember where they were at the beginning of COVID, around 2%, I think. They took it to like zero. Yeah, I think uh, according
1: to our chart here, about two and a half, and then then not anything. <laughs> <laughs> and same
0: thing, uh, you know, when the World Trade Center attacks took place, different things like that, the first thing they do is, yep. we're going to drop rates a half percent tomorrow, yep. you know, get things moving again. So that's the, the balance of the scales right now. It's, uh, it's still,
1: you know, in the hands of uh, inflation, that, that tug of war, inflation and interest rates. Absolutely. And the next kind of reason for concern, Dave, and we talked about it a little bit, but when you look at the U.S. large cap stock return, it's really being driven by only a small number. And as Mario did some research for us and found out that number is about seven (laughs) of the 500 of of mega cap stocks is is really behind the growth of large cap. So you want to explain like what what's, why is that nerve wracking for people? Why is that a potential concern? It basically, it comes down to the fragility of the rally that we
0: saw in the first half of the year. And quite, quite simply, you know, when it's a handful of companies that are really doing well, while the 493 other companies in the S&P 500 are basically neutral for the year, It leaves a narrow, it means investors are drawn to those particular companies, but they're not like Mm -hmm. drawn to the market as a whole, right? And so more can go wrong more quickly. And 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 if those are the only companies people want to invest in, and the price keeps getting driven Mm -hmm. up, eventually people aren't going to want to buy them anymore at that price. And then there's nowhere to go but down. It's it's interesting though, and and this is something I've, I personally would like to dig into further because the history of the markets in general, if you look at what has driven the return of the S and P 500, say over the last 75 years, it is always I that now it rotates a rotating cast, but by and large, most companies only do okay, while a few companies drive the ind- indices higher. And and while I I think like the failure record of publicly traded companies is ultimately somewhere around 40%, you know, it's like, it's like 10 or 15% of the companies in the S&P 500 that have driven most of the returns historically. So while it is a cause for concern, I'm not sure it's really that much different than normal. It just kind of has more headlines attached to it.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because it's also why people are like, you know, when you look at that, you say, well, why don't I just buy those seven companies, right? (laughs) Like, The problem is because you'll never know who they are until it's too late. <laughs> number one, but yeah. well, it yeah, gives right. you that like fool's right. gold of well, maybe I can do that, and that's why you know we see people make individual stock selections, take on a lot of risk, and it usually doesn't end up well for them, right? Well, you know, it, it, we preach the idea of value investing,
0: and it's the opposite of value investing, really. Uh, you know, if you go buy if you go buy Google, Apple, you know, Amazon right now. You're not buying value stocks. You're buying, hoping that they keep momentum going because their price-to-earnings ratios are, are to the moon, as the kids would say. What you want to do is find those stocks that have been left behind, because then those are going to be the ones that are going to rise up to meet those others when the when the market, right. you know, kind of kind of normalizes yeah. a little. Well, we've got one more on the reasons for concern list, and we've seen international stocks struggle a bit the last. Uh, few months as, a, you know, the U.S. dollar has strengthened and that's negatively impacted the return on non-U.S. stocks and that's likely to continue in this high interest rate environment.
1: Yeah, you know, it's one of those things, you know, uh, you know non-U.S. stocks and also like multinational U.S. companies. Um, and we've had this conversation mm-hmm. before we get a lot of clients, you know, why do we buy international? Look how good the S&P 500 is doing. Why don't we just buy that, right? And again, these things are cyclical and we don't like to make bets on that because what we find is when we include everything in a diversified portfolio, we usually end up in about the same place, but we take a ton of less risk by doing it that way, right? Right, right. So it's just another reminder that, you know, these things kind of go in phases, The main thing is just be ready to rebalance between them to take advantage of the highs and lows. With that, Dave, as always to our listeners, we'll post some of these these charts on our website in the show notes. You can check these out. You can check out blog posts on this and some of the other resources that we mentioned if you have questions on what happened last quarter or kind of what the outlook is for the end of 2023 and into 2024, feel free to shoot us an email at srbadvisors.com. As always, been a pleasure, Dave. Been great, Nick. Thank you.
0: Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com. And contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.